you can't get to heaven. No, you can't get to heaven. In a mini skirt. In a mini skirt. Cause God don't want. to have it in a miniskirt and it's halloween happy halloween it's spooky i'm jessica i'm sarah <laughs> do you hate me now? don't we call it jesus ween jesus ween oh my what is that a thing <laughs> it's actually a thing oh my god <laughs> and it always makes me think of jesus peen i don't know why my head goes there but <laughs> the best. what 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 you know what we we gotta blow past this we have so much to get through today okay. i can't talk about jesus peeing okay <sighs> if you, okay great we're off to a good start if you would like to support us you can go to patreon.com slash heaven in a miniskirt where you're going to find our bonus episodes we have quite a few now and we have fun doing them and if you just want to listen to our free episodes we are super happy to have you here we love everyone and it's so fun being able to do this if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Heaven in a Miniskirt at Instagram and TikTok and on X, if you're still using that, Sarah, I'm not sure, at Miniskirt Pod. I go through stints yeah. of doing it, but not not all the time. And I'm on a no social media policy right now. I am off social media because I'm just done with it. Sarah has fun with you guys on social media, so enjoy her on Instagram. She's posting me- all these original memes and uh, she's now a, a meme machine. A, a meme, meme machine. machine. So today it is Halloween and we are talking about witches. Are you excited? I am excited. I never got to dress up as a witch. Of course not. Oh my gosh. Were you allowed to celebrate Halloween? Like did you? Yeah, because we went trick-or-treating when we Oh were yeah, there. like I grew up celebrating Halloween and one of the biggest shocks to me so when I grew up in Eastern Canada, everyone celebrated Halloween. Me and the pastor's daughter were like really good friends when I was little and we would all go trick-or-treating together. And then when I moved to the UK to work in the New Frontiers Church, I remember overhearing a conversation like a few weeks before Halloween and someone was like, I don't think real Christians would let their children go trick-or-treating on Halloween. And I was actually shocked. I was like, hold up, excuse me. I, in Canada, we have like Halloween youth group parties like this is not yeah. and I understand that there are probably lots of Canadian and Americans who are raised in homes that were a little bit different from mine to the point where they could not celebrate Halloween but that kind of blew my mind so this time last year obviously around Halloween last year we had just started the podcast and so I was hardcore looking on social media trying to figure out just Christian culture nowadays and because it was so close to Halloween, and, and it's probably the same this year, there's so many videos about how, like, we don't celebrate Halloween because Halloween is demonic. And I was shocked, first of all, because up until I feel like last year, I had no idea this was, like, a mainstream Christian thing that, like, people didn't celebrate Halloween. I was like, what the actual fuck? Like, who cares? And then I remember texting you and being like, what the fuck is the 
obsession with witches and hating witches and magic in the occult and like I don't get it like who fucking cares and then you told me you're like I think it's like the people that are practicing magic it's like if the miracle doesn't come from Jesus then it comes from Satan and that's the belief signs and wonders from false prophets anything that's not of Jesus and even sometimes when it is claimed to be of Jesus people will be like I think that's a counterfeit Holy Spirit. Oh, my God. <laughs> so basically, if you're not in full agreement or like semi full agreement with the group that is yeah. doing something, you're like, no, it's probably the devil. So that is my story about how I found out that everybody in Christianity hates witches, which is very interesting because in my mind at the time, I'm like, witches aren't a real thing. But now I do actually know that people do identify as witches, which we are going to be talking about in our episode so this is part one of witches and we're going to be talking about history and ancient origins and salem witch trials and it's going to be very fun and i have been doing this this episode (laughs) took me a really long time to research and it was very depressing but also very interesting And so I'm really excited to share all this information. I hope that it's not information overload for everyone and they're not like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in school. Because it's it's fascinating because the way that we think about witches is in such a modern day sense. Well, we think of like Harry Potter. Yeah, or like wearing a pointy hat on a broomstick with a black cat, all of that. That is pretty modern. The concept of the modern day witch, including the word witch, depending on the language, didn't come until later down the road. But first, I think it's a good idea to talk about the ancient origins of magic itself and how it was viewed in various cultures across history. Cool. So in this whole episode, I'm going to refer to witches as witches because just for ease of conversation. But in a lot of ancient societies, they were more called like sorcerers, sorceresses, healers, shaman. It just depends on the time and culture and language. But like the word witch is a little bit more modern. Pretty much any ancient culture you can think of has information about people performing magic. But just for the time's sake, we can't talk about every single ancient culture. No. It's going to take forever. <laughs> that would be so overkill. I chose a few. And we're going to start with Mesopotamia. What we understand about witchcraft in ancient Mesopotamia is that it was viewed quite different than witchcraft in Western Europe, which we're going to be talking about later. They, in... Mesopotamia had a multifaceted view of witchcraft and so the belief was widespread but it was regarded as pretty legitimate like it wasn't there was an understood difference between benevolent and malevolent magic so good magic and bad magic so like white versus dark magic white magic versus dark magic sure I mean, <laughs> but that's what I, it's I called in some in what in a in shimmer and shine it's a a show about two genies <laughs> My kids watch it and they perform (laughs) white magic, not dark magic. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) Just like in Shimmer and Shine, Sarah, there's benevolent and malevolent magic. So this is the stuff that we have from ancient Mesopotamia that mentions witches or sorcery. Obviously, like the records from ancient Mesopotamia are few and far between, but there is quite some stuff that they were able to dig up in archaeology. We have tablets that are called the Maklu, which means burning. It is a series of Akkadian texts. Akkadian would be like the language, one of the languages in Mesopotamia, regarding a long anti-witchcraft ritual. So on these 
tablets. It describes this ritual and it's almost always like performed on the male elites and the witches were usually referred to as female. It seems to be used when the male elite has like some sort of like ailment of some sort, like a sickness or like he thinks he's been cursed. Okay. And, and he thinks it's been caused by malevolent magic. But it's interesting because the plaintiff, who is the male elite usually, doesn't know who the witch is. So he can't, they can't like prosecute an alleged criminal. So what they do is they do the ritual to counter the evil magic and to protect the patient. And then like they appeal to something called Samas, who is an omniscient judge who knows the actual identity of the witch. And then they pray to have the witch's body and ghost destroyed. And then there's like several incantations that the patient has to do to specific gods. I actually, I did read through most of them. We're not going to talk about them, but they are on the internet and they're translated. If you're interested, I'll be putting some stuff in the show notes about the Maklu tablets. Also from ancient Mesopotamia, we have what is called the Code of Hammurabi. Hammurabi Code. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know about this one. Okay. The Code of Hammurabi. Okay. I learned about this in Arts 1000. Oh, love it. Oh, that's cool. I should, man, looking back, why did I do business in university? I should have done arts. I loved arts. I know, but I, of course, did business and it was so riveting. So this is this code is one of the most well-known legal codes from ancient Mesopotamia. It was named after King Hammurabi, who ruled the Babylonian Empire from 1792 BC to 1750 BC. And there are a few laws that actually mention witchcraft. So law number two says, quote, if a seer, a diviner or practicer of sorcery, a soothsayer, a charmer, a diviner, an astrologer, a purveyor of water, a fortune teller, or a priestess of Shamash who casts a spell or does not follow the plantation rules, gives a verdict and does not establish judgment, that practitioner should be put to death. So it does mention, and then in law number three, it says, if a seer casts a spell upon another person's slave, the owner of the slaves shall show his slave to the palace he shall prove his witchcraft and he shall put the other seer to death. So this code, it does acknowledge the existence of individuals involved in like witchcraft, sorcery, etc. But it only seems to address of issues related to like false divinations or fraudulent activities or harming others through magical means. And so if you're found to have harmed somebody through magic or fraudulent activities then you will be put to death essentially that's one of the penalties in this it seems that they also believe in benevolent magic or like healers or whatever and so like if you're doing like good magic white magic if sarah calls it from the tv show that her children watch it seems to be fine so it's really interesting to think about ancient mesopotamia also believed in witchcraft and that there were good uses of witchcraft Because as we move on through the years, when Christianity comes into play, there are no good types of witchcraft. And so I found it really interesting because we as humans have not always thought like this. We have not always been like, witches are evil. And like, I think depending on even modern day, there's a lot of people that don't think witches are evil. And I think it's all the person's perspective because what you might call witchcraft or like playing with the demonic realm. Like if you look at Christians today that are not cessationists that believe in like signs and wonders, like laying of hands on someone, praying for healing, prophecy, these things are all very similar to 
witchcraft. But if it's for Jesus, then it's, then okay. it's viewed differently, right? It's I think it's a really easy scapegoat to say anyone that doesn't agree with me, if there are signs that prove that what they're doing could be right, it's the devil. Like, that's a mm-hmm. really easy cop out. That is so true. Very well then, said, Because then how would you not then flip the script and think like, oh, maybe what I'm doing is actually of the devil and what they're doing is the right thing. But the evangelicals have it right. The Baptists have it right. They they got the formula right. And God works mysterious ways, Sarah. So New Frontiers <laughs> has it right, actually. Oh, yeah. Sorry. New Frontiers. So just specifically them. No one else. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We talked about Mesopotamia. I'm going to talk about ancient Greece and Rome. There is something called the Greek Magical Papyri, a set of papers dated from 100 to 400 BC. So a little less ancient, but still old. And it contains spells and rituals. So this is not set in a specific book, as it's believed by some historians that these were like underground documents. And they're underground because they were subject to book burnings at the time. So they're on like papyrus paper. Some historians believe that. Like I I just need to say that for like literally everything that I'm going to be telling you about the ancient stuff is like it is not agreed upon. But I think like a good chunk of history, right? Yeah, you have to make assumptions based on what we know today. So then in 33 BCE, astrologers and magicians are explicitly mentioned as having been driven from Rome. And then 20 years later... Emperor Augustus ordered all books on the magical arts to be burned. And then in year 16 CE, magicians and astrologers were expelled from Italy. And then in the fourth century, Emperor Constantine I issued a ruling to cover all types of magic. And in this ruling, he distinguished between helpful charms that were not punishable and then antagonistic spells, which were punishable. So there's a theme here. If you're harming others, then... Mm -hmm. It seems to be more likely to be punished, whereas if you're doing good. Yeah. And that does end, you know. Oh, yeah. When, when <laughs> we, yeah. It, and so that's, that, that is, seems to be the theme in all, all of these ancient beliefs is that, like, there is, like, this good and bad magic, white and dark magic, as Sarah has said already. Um, sorry, I'm just not going to let that go for the rest of the episode. So if you really think about, like, the religion and gods that the ancient, romans and grecians believed in the magic and power was intertwined pretty closely with it well because there was even the capacity for demigods like the divine and humanity were much more intertwined because their gods weren't virgins (sighs) yes yeah (laughs) not like our gods a bunch of nerds i mean the holy spirit debatable all right moving on to norse and germanic traditions i don't have much about this but i had someone I was at a birthday party for one of my partner's friends, and she had someone that was doing Norse card readings. Like, really? Based on the Norse gods. Yeah, like someone that was like a fortune teller, and it was really interesting. Oh, that's so sick. Yeah. Oh, my God, you're all going to hell. So in Norse mythology, I am sure that I could talk about Norse mythology for a literal entire episode, but we're just going to do this little snippet here. But there are practitioners known as the Seor or Volva. Volva. Volva? often associated with female magic and they were like like you said these individuals were believed to have the power to foretell the future and in influence events so that's interesting yeah the norse they also had rune masters who used uh runes in magical practices so there you go this woman used runes did she she call herself a volva (laughs) (laughs) no she called herself like a i don't know a fortune teller that does like nordic or card reader i don't know 
Love that for you. So indigenous cultures, again, just a little snippet is that like in various Native American cultures and probably Native Canadian cultures, there were shamans and medicine men or women who performed spiritual and healing rituals. And I think it was like generally a pretty positive thing. And they, the practices, like they connected a lot with the spiritual world. Like from what I understand from indigenous cultures, at least in Canada, is that they are very connected with the spirits there isn't the term witch it's just like we're connecting with the spirits that was part of culture and then in ancient china there's traditions of divination astrology and various magical practices so even though i'm only just touching on those ones briefly what i wanted to do with this section was just be like it was everywhere like magic was everywhere in different forms they had different cultures had different views on it magic the supernatural yeah and just like it is part of being a human and being connected with the earth and being connected to the spirits of the earth and depending on which tradition or which country you're from it's just like there there are differences but it's like it's almost like it's baked into our dna to believe in the supernatural until christianity comes along and ruins it for everybody which is where we're going next Squash squash them all Now we are at a point in history when witchcraft is now related to Satan. So I'm keeping the rest of the episode pretty European, but keep in mind that all cultures have had their own beliefs surrounding witches and witchcraft, even as the years went on. It was not just ancient civilizations. But Europe has managed to fuck up most of the world through colonization. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think that the records of European witchcraft and witch hunts are probably the most expansive and the records are probably the most well kept. So that's what I'm thinking after doing all this research because it's extensive. Like, I don't even know how else to put it. Like I was FaceTiming my sister the other day and I was like, look how long my notes are. And I have my notes app open on my laptop and I'm just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. And she's like, Jesus Christ. And like, we only just got past the first section which was the shortest section we're gonna start picking up steam here because we're in about the 1500s so that's a lot of time that has passed between like ancient civilizations and now and now we're just like in the medieval period and it's we're getting into the part where the medieval period turned into like the modern period so are you ready to be depressed always It is estimated that 30,000 to 50,000 people were executed in Europe in the 300-year period that the witch hunts were happening. And it is estimated that 75% to 85% of those people were women. That's what I was about to ask. Mm -hmm. A lot. A lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's a lot of people. And I think there are some estimates that are higher than that. But this is just only because this is just in the 300 year period that the witch hunts were happening but like before the witch hunts happened like people were executed many many people all over the world were executed for suspicions of witchcraft and it's in like the hundreds of thousands in the world oftentimes from my understanding it was sometimes it was a scapegoat like she's a witch if we just don't like what she's saying or that she's saying anything oh my gosh sarah we're gonna get into it it's pretty fucking depressing and yes that's what you just said is very true. So we're going to talk about like the 1500s and keep in mind while I'm talking about this is that the Reformation was happening at this time. So it was a period of religious turmoil. However, both sides were actively hunting witches. So that was like something that they were both doing. Like neither of them were excused from it. So there was a lot of religious tension. And during 
all this time, there were actual various like witchcraft acts that were passed in the 1500s and 1600s into law by the monarchy, um, British monarchy. So first is the, there's three that I'll talk about. The first one is the Witchcraft Act of 1541. This one was instituted by Henry VIII, who was also the same guy who like had the six marriages and like married Anne Boleyn and like, so same guy. This guy fucking sucks. So he was Elizabeth, like Queen Elizabeth I's dad. Exactly. He was. He claimed that witchcraft was a felony and he put that into law that it was a felony. And then it was repealed by his son in 1547. Then it wasn't replaced for another 16 years. So his son ruled after Henry VIII died, and then he died, and then Elizabeth ruled. So then she instituted the Witchcraft Act of 1562. But this one was more concerned with like addressing fraudulent claims of magic and witchcraft rather than the actual practice of witchcraft. So that's interesting. So it like targeted people who were falsely claimed to have magical powers, which like I'm not really against because you're just being like a charlatan. So that was the Witchcraft Act of 1562. And then in 1603, Three, when James I took the throne, so Elizabeth's son, mm-hmm. and we're going to be talking about him again later because he has quite an interesting history. He brought in the law in reference to witchcraft. So he was like pretty obsessed with witchcraft and he was concerned with both the practice and like the fraudulent. So he upped the ante a little bit in terms yeah. of punishment. And the fact that witches are making pacts with the devil. So he had a personal obsession with witchcraft and he wrote a book called Demonology and he believes that, that witches were real. And so at this point, the penalties were now much more severe. And a lot of people were executed because of it. Wow. Those are the acts. But I'm going to talk about something that came across a lot in my research. This is a book called Malleus Maleficarum. And in English, this means the hammer of witches. It's a book that was first published in 1486. So before these witchcraft acts So in my theories, in my own personal opinion, the Malleus Maleficarum, this book, influenced the laws put into place about witches. It influenced society's views on witches. I think that it really, this is what really fueled the fire for the European witch hunts. Because when it was first published in 1486, the witch craze hadn't really started in earnest Mm yet, but after it was published, everything just went crazy. So, oh my God, I just need a minute because this book is so fucking depressing. Yeah. I read a lot of it. It took me like three solid days to get through this portion of the episode. So it was a book written by Jacob Springer and Heinrich Kramer. They were both Catholic theologians at the time, and they're obviously particularly interested in witches. They were part of this Catholic order called Dominican. And when I was researching, it just kept saying that they were Dominicans. And I was like, are they from the Dominican Republic? (laughs) Like, I was so confused. Um, It is actually just an order, a Catholic order. This order in the Catholic Church was founded to preach the gospel and to oppose heresy. So one of the things that the Catholic Church at the time was most concerned about was heresy. And I think that this also was tied in with the Reformation because they could sense that people were being heretics and they wanted to reform and at the time witchcraft was seen as like the ultimate form of heresy so it's kind of how it all ties in together 
So for a hundred years, this was the second most popular book in Europe behind the Bible. And due to the invention of the printing press, around that time the book was written, several copies were able to be distributed. So that really is bad. And between 1487 and 1520, 20 editions of the Malleus Maleficarum were published. And then another 16 were published between 1574 and 1669. So like the second most popular book behind the Bible, like fuck. So you got the Bible and you got the Malleus Maleficarum. Like Jesus, poor women, man, no wonder this happened. Malleus Maleficarum sounds like a spell. Like sounds like something no like, malleus maleficarum they should have put that into harry potter i think it's just like a cool name it was published in latin i assume yes okay. so it was published in latin and it was translated into english by christopher s mckay and it was published in 2009 and so christopher mr christopher he has a pretty long forward in that book i'm just going to chat about what he's like okay. he, he gives a lot of preface about like this is what was happening in the time and this is who these people were and but a few interesting things that he says is like this marked a time when people were accused of being witches and that witches were essentially of satan so this is when this kind of started and i think as long as christianity's been around there has been this idea of like m- magic that like anything that isn't jesus is this of satan but this is when it really started to like pick up steam okay um so this was a new concept and it's known in modern scholarship as the elaborated concept of witchcraft and it's characterized by six basic beliefs about like the activities of witches and so the six practices are one a pact entered into with the devil so it is believed literally like in all of these witch trials that we're going to be talking about that like these women specifically, like really, let's just say women, they entered into a contract with the devil to receive magical powers. Right. The next characteristic is sexual relations with the devil. So there's lots of banging of devils. The third one is aerial flight. The fourth is an assembly presided over Satan himself. And at this assembly, the initiate enters into the pact and incest and promiscuous sex were engaged in by the attendees. Like, so crazy. Five was the practice of maleficent magic. And then six was the slaughter of babies. Like, why do we got to be babies into this? But I remember hearing about that growing up, that like you had to be careful at Halloween because witches would get together in the woods and they would slaughter animals and children and sacrifice them to the devil really yeah. you heard this as a child yeah in church yeah i mean i've heard stuff like this in like pop culture horror movies no i heard this cool super cool thing to tell a child so that was the belief at the time this book really talked about it so the book in a narrow sense is not considered misogynistic but it is absolutely permeating with the hatred of women so it was broadly very misogynistic so one of the authors is Jacob Springer. His thoughts on this are unknown. And honestly, there are a lot of historians that think that Springer didn't even write the book. And it was written by the other guy. And then the other guy also just used Springer's name just for like clout. Like cred. Yeah, cred. Street cred. And so the other author, Heinrich Kramer, he hated women. And it's really clear that he did from other writings that he has in history could we not say that most people in the 1400s by today's standards 
who would be misogynistic, like everyone. Yeah, okay. And they all probably hated women. But I'd say, like, not all of them were like, let's kill the women because they're witches. Right. The anti-female premises of the book are pretty much fully attributable to Heinrich Kramer, who seemed to be a real fucking piece of shit. That's just in the foreword of the book. There's a lot of great stuff in the foreword. I think you can actually read the foreword for free using Google Books. Oh, cool. So it's interesting. It's a 1,300-page book. Obviously, I'm not going to be able to talk about the whole thing, but uh, we'll talk about what I'm able to. So the book is broken up into three parts. So first is part one, which talks about theology and philosophy of basically a discussion of the existence of witches and that they like pose a huge threat to the church. The first line of this section is interesting. It says, whether claiming that sorcerers exist is such a Catholic proposition that to defend the opposite view steadfastly is altogether heretical. Okay. I feel like this line sets up the whole book very nicely. Like you're a heretic if you don't agree with what we're writing. Yeah, that's what it seems like. Next, oh my God, he goes on and on about how witches are real and demons. Demons and demons. I swear to God, he has said demons 500 times in this book. These people are obsessed with demons. We have a whole episode on demons if you're interested. Exactly. And so I was laughing. Like, I cannot overstate enough how much they talk about demons. It's in every section. Demons being like Satan's minions, but also just like satan would they think every witch is possessed by the devil or by demons not possessed because they willingly do all this stuff it's very complicated because there are so many fucking scenarios in this book you gotta just read the table of contents for this book too it's like this is how the witches fly and it's like the demons enter the witch and then it's like all this like like they just make shit up basically and it's like this is how the witches sacrifice men and how they make men's penises fall off like it's so crazy whoa okay yeah of course witches would want to come after the dick personally look i'm gonna do the same thing so he uses various bible verses to justify the existence of witches so three old testament one new testament do you want to read them they're all in new international version. Okay. Oh, good old Exodus. Exodus and Leviticus. And Deuteronomy. We're really covering all of the <laughs> all of the good books here. Um, okay. <laughs> I know. So Exodus twenty two eighteen says, "Do not allow a sorceress to live." That's pretty clear. Yep. Leviticus twenty twenty seven says, "A man or woman who is a medium or spiritist among you must be put to death. You are to stone them." Their blood will be on their own heads. I like that whoever was writing that was like, this is God inspired and we need to just insert this line here. As if like, we're not idiots. We know if you stone someone's head, it's going to have blood on it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Deuteronomy 8, 10 to 12. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their own son or daughter in fire. But it's funny because God, you asked Abraham to do the same thing and you did the same thing to your own son. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft or cast spells, or who is a medium or spiritist, or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord because of these same detestable practices. The Lord your God will drive out those nations before you. 
And then... So those are all Old Testament. I just also want to point out before you go to the New Testament. So the first one was Leviticus 22.18. But Leviticus 22.16-17 to 17 is that verse that it's like, if a man seduces a virgin, he has to marry her and pay the father. So like, this is the kind of shit that we're dealing with right now. Is like, we're basically at that Bible verse. I just want to point that out. And mixed fabrics. And mixed fabrics. Yeah, same thing. Same thing. Okay, so moving on to the New Testament. Galatians 5... 19 to 21 the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft hatred discord jealousy fits of rage selfish ambition dissensions factions and envy drunkenness orgies and the like (laughs) i warn you as i did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of god who wrote that sarah paul was it paul he talks about but wouldn't sexual immorality and orgies just be in the same umbrella? It's under the same umbrella. He yeah. just needed to point that out. He was like, orgies, stop having them, guys. he really wanted a gay orgy. Yeah, he wanted one so bad. He, he can't even stop talking about it. So those are four Bible verses that the authors use a lot in section one. And so I just wanted to point those out. None of it's surprising. And this seems like a very Christian thing to do to take four verses in a book that was written and has so many different authors over a long time period, different contexts to pull them all out and say, see, this justifies killing people. Yeah, that's actually a pretty good summary of Christianity as a whole over history. And this is not just Christians. This is literally every society, every group of humans on earth. It's just Christians are really fucking good at writing it down so that we have it all in a nice neat little package for an episode. So moving on with the book in part one, it says that women are more susceptible to witchcraft and that they are more prone to temptation and sin, which was the prevailing gender bias at the time because Eve ate the apple. So this is where like the mental gymnastics is just, it's just funny. Like there's no other way to put this out there except that this is funny is that it says that the increases in witchcraft is a result of God's will and that witches are allowed to flourish as a divine test or punishment because basically in the book, it says that demons and Satan can't do anything unless God lets them like, okay. And so it must be God's will that witches are around and it's up to us to murder them. That's the justification here because in Catholicism at the time, it was like the devil can't do anything unless God says he can. Because God's all powerful. Well, God allows the devil to be the prince of the earth, right? Basically, it's like at the time you're like, well, how are witches real? Like God would never allow this. But they're like, but he is allowing it because he wants us to kill them. That's section one. It concludes that this book, the Malleus Maleficarum, it's a necessary guide for inquisitors. And inquisitors in this book, I'll be using that word a little bit. They're like the investigators. Like witch hunters. The witch hunters. Yeah. I think that's like another word for witch hunter, but the inquisitor would be like the the proper word for it. Um, the inquisitors and judges, it's a guide for them to help them in their efforts to combat witchcraft and heresy. And it, it's, it says that without this manual, the fight against witches would be ineffective. So you need the manual, apparently. Now we're on to section two. It talks about various aspects of witchcraft itself. It's long and it has a lot of different sections. It describes the witch's ability to make packs with the devil, how they fly, how they participate in secret ceremonies, how they turn into animals, how they kill babies, how they take the penises off of men. Like it just, it literally just goes on and on. This kind of sounds a little bit like the Bible. 
What, that it just goes on and on? <laughs> no, but that it, it talks about, like, when penises come off and, like, killing mm-hmm. babies. and. Oh, yeah, it seems just a, a little theme that we got going on here. The part that covers different methods attributed to witches, such as casting spells and creating love potions, and just generally causing harm to others this is where we get to like the dick thing is that there's a story in this chapter about a witch quote-unquote witch it's just like there was a witch once that did this like it is just completely made up obviously about a witch who used a spell to make a man's dick disappear and then the man confronts her and she says she has no idea what he's talking about and then he tries to kill her and then (laughs) she probably legit was just a human that had no idea she's like i don't know man she was like she literally says i don't know what you're talking about and then he and then as she's gonna die she's like oh just kidding here's your dick back that's the story and i'm telling you it was just like this there was once a guy there was once a man from nantucket who lost his dick like that's how it feels like it's like a limerick like and you know that there's nothing more terrifying to these men than losing their dick you can really tell in this in this book it it is interesting because yeah like look i i get it it would be scary to lose your dick that would be scary (laughs) <laughs> so I can see where it comes from, but it's also just like, this is obviously just like an urban legend that isn't true. But, you know, back in the 1500s, I guess this was like, this is real, guys. This is real. If you think about it, like the scientific method and the separation of politics and religion, like that wasn't. And like, that's why, you know, the preface of the book is really important because like you have to understand that this is the 1500s. It was so different, but I can still make fun of it looking through a 2023 lens because it's funny. Uh, all I can think of is like, imagine this being written today. And I know that's like not really a good way to look at it, but it's still funny. But there's people that think that way today. It, yes, <laughs> that's I true. Think that's the mind blowing element here. That they would love to basically do what this book says and kill witches that's true the next part of part two is like this big section about like remedies and they talk about the remedies to different afflictions so they're just like basically prayers and exorcisms depending on the different affliction that you've come across as a person who's been cursed by a witch like how to grow your dick back kind of thing how to grow your dick back pray really hard (laughs) and it's like yeah exercising demons and all that okay that was part one and two now we get into part three which i think is in my opinion, very interesting because it's the practical instructions for witch hunts. So it provides instructions for like the inquisitors and the judges on how to identify, question, torture, literally torture and prosecute witches. So that's really depressing, but it talks about how they like identify witches through their physical characteristics So some of these characteristics, they're like, okay, if a woman has this, she's a witch. So the first one is witch's teat, which is basically a third nipple. (laughs) Believed to be used for the suckling of their familiar. And a familiar is like a little spiritual witch's assistant. Could be like a small animal. That's kind of how like the cat. Like the cat. Black cat. The hawk. Yeah. And so the witch gets the familiar after she makes a pact with the devil and she has like a little minion little assistant who suckles her third nipple and so she gets a third nipple so she can feed the animal okay spirit yep and even more vague than this is the witch's mark which is just like a mark a mole an unusual blemish on your skin which is seen as signs of a pack with the devil or a location where a familiar spirit fed so like literally if you're a woman with any blemish which like you could look on anybody's skin and find that you're fucked so they're just like Let's make it just super broad. So any human can be said to be a witch. So those were the 
physical characteristics. There's okay. a few more, but those are the two most interesting ones. Behavioral characteristics are also discussed. So this is like what you were saying earlier, Sarah, about how like if you just don't like someone, like you can just say they're a witch. So like anyone strange in any way can be a witch. So they'd say like someone is living alone. Someone's a recluse. Someone is expressing unorthodox beliefs. They're not really like into church they're not as pure as you should be in different societies, like depending on where you live. Like, yeah, you could basically just be like, this woman's a widow and she's mean. She's a fucking witch. Oh my like, God. That's how it worked. That's how wow. it worked. And that's, it's really fucking sad. And then it talks a lot about inquisitors and what they are. And it encourages, they're like the witch hunters. I bet they're all men, eh? Probably. I didn't pick that up, but yeah, like absolutely. They're all men. I think there's a lot of women, and we'll talk about this as we talk about each specific witch I think women like hunting witches too, like doing the dirtiest work for you. Is this Taylor Swift lyrics? Oh, of course, it's a Taylor Swift lyric. I was like, oh, that's very specific, Sarah. There you go. Yes, because, and the thing is that what Taylor Swift is saying is very true, as always, is that (laughs) in a lot of the witch hunts, a lot of women named other women as witches for various reasons but that was like a big thing they're like oh you think i'm a witch well like sarah that bitch is a witch yeah you should see her third teeth (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so (laughs) oh my god i'm glad that you made a joke because we're about to get to something really sad it's not funny but torture (laughs) it's not funny um i got to the section on torture and i was like oh i'm gonna talk about this because i bet it's interesting and then it was like just so fucking gruesome and made me nauseous. So I was like, okay, hey, I'm not going to like talk about Maybe all of it. We can like but... skim over torture. Yes, we're going to skim over torture. But they did torture women or people because it was, there was men too. But they did torture people in order to elicit a confession, which we know is like the best way to elicit a true confession out of somebody. Yep, still done today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they would like stretch them on a rack or strangle them until they were almost dead. And then, like, revive them. Like, nailing their, like, whipping off their nails. Like, putting nails in their fingers. Burning them. Physically burning them. Like, things like that. Or just, like, threatening to have them burned at the stake. Because that was a way that they would execute witches. Not as common, but they would. And they went into detail. And it was really gross. So, these people would be arrested and then tortured. And, like, of course, they're going to confess to being a witch. Because it's just, like, just fucking stop torturing me. Anyone would do that. And they still, again, like you said, they do that today. So... Yeah, I brought the mood right down. That's what I like to do. We're up here. We got to bring it right down. We, after torture, talks about like the trials and how to do a step-by-step process for conducting a witch trial. There's example questions. There's talking about how to pick witnesses and how important witnesses and testimonies are in trials. And it suggests that the testimony of other accused witches should be considered reliable, which contributed to the cycle of accusations in witch trials. So like a one person would be, like I said earlier, they would be like accused as a witch and then they would say like this person's a witch and then that person would say this person's a witch and then it would just go around and around and around until everybody dies. That does happen quite a bit, but that's it for the Malleus Maleficarum. Okay. And the the Malleus Maleficarum, in terms of the history of witchcraft and witches, is very popular. I watched a few documentaries on witches and, and modern day witches, and the Malleus always came up. And so I was like, okay, well, clearly this is very important. So do you have any questions before we move on? No. I think you did a okay. good overview of that 1,300-page book. Yeah. 
we are going to move on to some different witch trials that happened after the Malleus was written. So the Malleus was written, like I said, the first one was written in 1486. So we're skipping ahead now to the 1500s, specifically the 1590s. So witch trials have been happening at this point in Europe, like scattered. Okay. Now, in 1590, there was a trial called the North Berwick Trials, and at least 100 people were executed. Oh, wow. And this was caused because King James VI of Scotland, who later became King James I of England, and this is also the same King James that wrote the King James Version of the Bible. Yeah, so just a little tidbit for you. Uh, Once Elizabeth I died, then he became the King of England. He's the one who created the third law that we talked about earlier after Elizabeth died. So she created one of the witchcraft acts and then he created another one in later years. But before that, he helped whip up a pretty big witch panic in Scotland in the 1590s. So what happened was that he was on a voyage at sea with his new Danish bride, Anne, and there was like a lot of bad weather and they thought that they had been personally targeted by witches who conjured like dangerous storms to try to kill the royals like so they're like it wasn't just bad weather it was witches it checks out um when he returned he formed a tribunal so at the time there were witchcraft trials happening where his bride was from so this is where he heard about it and then he formed a tribunal when he got back to scotland and then several women were accused of witchcraft and some confessions were born from torture he sanctioned the witch trials after, like, there was a pretty alarming confession in 1591 from one of the witches. Her name was Agnes Sampson. That's a badass name. Agnes, Agnes Sampson. Sampson. I think that she probably, like most of the women that were accused, was tortured. And then so she just made up a fantastical story because that's really what was going to allow that was torture to stop. So she revealed that there was 200 witches, even some from Denmark, where his bride was from. They had sailed in groups to the church of a coastal town of North Berwick on Halloween night of 1590. And then the devil preached to them and encouraged them to plot the king's destruction. And then after hearing those confessions, like even though they came from them being tortured, King James was like, holy fuck. There's 200 of these people out to get me. Exactly. So I think before this confession came, he was like, maybe not. And then this confession came and he was like, oh my God, there's witches everywhere. And they're threatening my reign as king. Agnes just made it so much worse for everyone. So this was called the North Berwick Trials. And then six years later, another panic broke out. And then the all the crazes in Scotland, it was an estimated that more than 1500 people were executed, which like per capita is higher than any other European witch hunts. Wow. And then 75% of them were women. So that's a quick overview of one of the trials. There's a lot of really interesting tidbits of all these trials. It's, it's just the problem with all the witch trials is that there are so many people involved because there's so many people accused. There's so many family members that they accuse of other family members and blah, blah. And it goes on and on. Until I lose track of all the people and you just can't talk about everybody. No. You'd have to do an episode on each witch trial. So so that was like a very quick overview of what happened. But after all of this happened, King James wrote his dissertation called Demonology. So we talked about that earlier. He wrote that in 1597. So what demonology was, it was a dissertation that explained the way that the devil operated in the world. So King James fancied himself quite the scholar. Ah, yes. It says that the 
Devil is the leader of fallen angels who had become demons. The demons made pacts with people and granted them powers to work harmful magic. Witchcraft was a secret conspiracy between humans and demons who were out to do all the harm they could. The faithful's only hope was to appeal to God and especially to the God-given powers of kings like James. Of course, the king. The king has a God-given. It's his job to save the world from the witches. I think the thing is about the royals is that, and I don't know about nowadays, but like they really think that they are appointed by God to be the king or queen. Like that is Well, the monarch in the United Kingdom is the head of the Church of England. The church. Yes. So like, and they really believe that like God is like this person. I'm sure nowadays they're like, oh, a little more nuanced. It's symbolic. Yeah. So that was what King James did. And then when he became the King of England in 1603, he broadened that law in regards to witchcraft. So all this stuff in North Berwick happened in the late 1590s. And so he was still like on his bullshit many years later. Yeah. So then another one of the really famous witch trials is in Europe is the Pendle witch trials of 1612. It's one of the best recorded of the 17th century. The Pendle witch trials. Pendle. It's like, it's quite famous, apparently. I The only reason I had never heard it is because I'm not European. I think that's just like the way it is. But if you're from Europe, I think you've heard of it. And there is definitely like a monument to these women. Because so at the time, 12 people were accused of witchcraft. One died while held in custody and then 11 went to trial. Before the trials took place, there was laws put into place in various towns, including Lancashire, where this all took place. These laws told lawmakers to make a list of those who didn't attend church or take communion, which was a criminal offense. And then, of course, if you didn't do that, then you were probably considered a witch. So six of the people that were executed were from two families that were headed by elderly widowed women. And there was like a rivalry between the two families. It all started when one of the accused, the first accused, a woman named Allison Device. She was part of one of the families. She met a peddler named John Law. She met him like on the road. And she wanted, apparently she wanted to buy pins from him. Something about like, something about like a pin, like a metal pin was like really popular at the time, really expensive and also probably used in quote unquote witchcraft. So then she ended up cursing him, which sure she cursed him. He ended up having a stroke a few days later and then he blamed Allison and she confessed to it and then accused one of the women Elizabeth Southerns, who was the matriarch of one of the families. So Elizabeth Southerns was one of the really old ladies. She accused her of teaching her witchcraft because Elizabeth Southerns was known as a witch in the area for over 50 years. But at the time before, so this was 1612, it was part of culture that you were a healer or a shaman or whatever. And it wasn't malevolent or dark magic. (laughs) Black magic, as you called it, sorry. And so it's an interesting is that like the craze really started to take off after King James wrote his book about demonology in the area. And then so even though she was a witch, a known witch for over 50 years, Alison Device was like, this bitch is a witch and she taught me how to be a witch. So then they arrested her. And unfortunately, Elizabeth Southerns died in jail. But before she died, she also accused the other rival family. So the other matriarch. Like a big old fuck you to them. Kind of. That tended to happen a lot 
in these witch trials and also like they would just be like oh my daughter's a witch even though like they get along with her daughter but i think a lot of these things were said under torture and i think people also out of concern because if you Mm -hmm. genuinely believe that someone even if they're close to you has made a pact with the devil and is performing dark magic and that they need that person needs to be killed Yeah, I mean, if you're that superstitious, things were different. I could see that happening. Since this was in 1612, King James' law had already come into effect, and he changed the laws in terms of trying witches. So, like, it broadened the... It, like, changed how witches were tried in relation to, like, other crimes. So they let a nine-year-old be a witness and literally just, like, make things up. At the time, that never would have been allowed in a regular court of law. We know eyewitness testimony is not super reliable anyway. Uh, Yeah, I mean, we know that now. But I think also she was just making shit up because like nine-year-olds do that. Yeah. And then 10 people were executed. And at the time, the executions generally were by hanging. But there were some witch trials in Europe that resulted in burning at the stake which i think is like one of the more popular ways to think about it's what you like stereotypically think of which is burned at the stake and so it wasn't uncommon to be burned at the stake but it was a lot more common to hang people and then just like hastily bury them where they were hanged so that was the pendle witch trials of 1612 and there were again a lot more witch trials what you'll notice if you ever look these up is that there is just the common theme of there was one person that's kind of weird and then it just takes off from there they start accusing this person and this person and then it goes on and on and it usually starts with like a man accusing a woman and then like not all of them were women most of them were i'm sure the majority of them were not actually self-identified witches I think you look at elizabeth southerns at the time and she was a self-identified witch but i think at the time witch meant healer right like someone who has like potions and maybe makes like a love potion it's just it's really troubling and speaking of troubling we're going to be talking about now the salem witch trials so this is our last witch trial and this is like not far from where we grew up yeah so it's actually quite close so salem witch trials this is what i put i put lather rinse repeat Because it is the same fucking thing as all the other witch trials. It's just, now this one's in America. And that's why we know a lot more about it. Because it's so famous. Yes. When I started researching this podcast, I listened to a very long podcast series called Unobscured. And it's about the Salem Witch Trials. The first season of it is about the Salem Witch Trials. And what I learned was very interesting. But there are a lot of people... A lot of names, a lot of characters, and by characters, I mean, like, actual people that were involved in the Salem Witch Trials. But, like, a lot of characters in this story that it's really hard to keep tabs on all of it. But there is also a book. I think it's just called Witches. It won the Pulitzer Prize a few years ago. And it's a history of the Salem Witch Trials of 1692. And it's just very long and I think if you're like actually very interested in learning about the Salem Witch Trials and all of the people, there are a lot of resources for you. I'm just saying that because I had to simplify it. What you're trying to say is you're only going to zoom in on a few narratives as opposed to being able to capture (laughs) the entire thing. I'm like, I can't capture this whole thing. Like, I can't. Just some background on Salem was that Salem was founded in 1626 and then was taken over in 1628 by the Massachusetts Bay Company to help settle thousands of Puritans. Puritans, we're, man. We're off to a good start with Puritans. We have to do a series on Puritans. It's part of the Protestant 
reform, but they were a group of Protestants that were like trying to purify the Church of England from what they perceived as like remaining Roman Catholic practices and influences. So at the time the Reformation happened, the Catholics were like on the outs in terms of like British monarchy and now it's the Church of England. And they're like, you are not pious enough. You're having too much fun. We don't want any fun. We don't want any happiness. It's like, it's all fucking suffering. So this is what the Puritans are like, literally my worst enemies. Like, I cannot with the Puritans. They are so brutal. So, so here we are in, in Salem, Massachusetts with a shit ton of Puritans. Yeah. So this shit ton of Puritans. This is a settlement of Puritans. Between 1689 and 1692, so 1692 was when the Salem witch trial started. But right before that, Native Americans were continuing to attack a lot of English settlements along the main coast, including like near Salem. They never, at least at this time, they hadn't attacked Salem. But there was a lot of people being killed and a lot of abandoned settlements. And it created a lot of attention in the settlements because it's scary to think that you're going to be invaded, but except that you took their land. So like, I don't feel bad for them. I'm just saying this is what tension was going on. Right. And at in Salem, there's a lot of rivalries and quarrels about land resulting in family rivalries. So a lot of these families had a lot to do with the trials. There was also issues within the churches in Salem. They had a very hard time keeping a minister that was Puritan enough for them, causing schisms in the church. So they eventually settled on a man named Samuel Paris. So Samuel Paris was the minister at the time. So he moved to Salem and he brought a woman, his slave, who was named Tituba. And then she had her own traditions. I wanted to really give you the overview of what was going on in Salem. It's funny the Puritans are trying to be pious, but they're like, slavery checks out. That's fine. Yeah. Because it's not like the world, like people knew back then that like that was wrong. Like, people knew slavery was wrong. You know what? We both have seen this video of this dude being like, you know, I don't support slavery, but if slavery didn't happen, then these people would have never known Jesus. That is still the prevailing attitude with some people. That is the Florida education curriculum. Yeah. We can sit on our high horse in 2023 and be like, slavery's bad, but there's still people that are like, well, actually, without slavery, they wouldn't have known Jesus and they would have gone to hell. And I'm like, well, you know what? It What you're saying isn't real. Maybe we're already in hell. So... In 1692, the witch trials began. At this point, the witch craze in Europe was happening in like the 1500s and the early 1600s. And we're almost in the 1700s now, which is like we're bordering on modern times. Medieval period is pretty much over. And but now we're in America. So we're far away from Europe. We're in a new world. Two young girls. One was Samuel Paris's daughter and the other his niece. So Samuel Paris was the preacher. Okay. And at their home, they all lived together. The two girls, they started having convulsions and fits. And then they were like, this is witches. Witches are attacking us. And they were like convulsing and exhibiting Jeez. a lot of strange behavior. And so from the records, it does seem it was like it was pretty disturbing to people. They said that there was like astral projections of witches that were torturing them. And then they accused their slave Tituba of being a witch. Samuel... Paris then beat Tituba until she essentially confessed. So confession by torture again. I know. This is just the beginning. There, there was a lot of people that were accused and executed. So we're only going to talk about a few. But this is just like the beginning of the trials. These two girls are saying that they're being attacked by witches. And then they just start like naming women that they don't like. And they're just like, this bitch, 
is doing it. So one woman, there was two other women that were now being accused named Sarah Good and Sarah Osborne. They were then arrested. Sarah Good was a destitute and rude woman who just like people didn't like. And that doesn't mean that she's a fucking witch. She's just like the history. When I was looking at the history, like she had a really fucking hard life and she was now homeless trying to feed her children. And she was just bitchy. And I would be too. Um, Sarah Osborne, the other accused, she was just somebody that, that didn't regularly attend church and she had married a servant of hers and people just didn't like that. And they were like, this bitch, she's out. Then they just get like arrested and then their trial is just set. So they're stuck in like a jail and the jails, the conditions are awful. Like a lot of people die in jail before being tried for witchcraft in all of the witch trials. Okay. Including Salem. The first person to be executed for witchcraft in Salem, her name was Bridget Bishop. She was hanged on June 10th, 1692. She was the owner of a tavern and she had been accused of witchcraft before, but there was just different laws in place then. And now she was accused again. And then it just went downhill really quickly. When she was hanged, she was the first person to be hanged, the first person to be tried. It seemed like maybe the town was regretful because I think like there was like this 20 day period And they were just like, maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah. But then the trials began again. And unfortunately, it wasn't the end of it. So a total of 20 people, 14 women and six men, were executed by hanging. One person was pressed to death and two dogs were executed. So the person that was pressed to death was being tortured for a confession. Dogs? I know. I know. Because I think they were probably considered like a familiar or like, I know. I mean, I feel bad for people, but like dogs, it's not like dogs can confess anything like they're just no they're dogs dogs. i know this was just like nothing short of fucking insane like when i'm looking at the legal proceedings they allowed spectral evidence in the trials which is just like evidence of people's dreams that was evidence yeah like so if i'm accusing you of being a witch i'm like oh sarah came to me in a dream and she was torturing me in a dream so she's like a witch yeah like this is it's bad so they did allow spectral evidence and then as the Salem witch trials were kind of winding down, the craze kind of spread to a neighboring community, Andover, and they had numerous people convicted and executed as well. Wow. It's just that it was Salem would be like the most famous known in history, but it did start to go to like neighboring communities. Wow. So in early 1693, so it's only been a year, the hysteria surrounding the trials eventually began to wane because the accusations were just becoming absurd. And then public opinion was turned against the proceedings. And then the people, I think a lot of the people that were like part of the trials in terms of like the jurors and the judges were expressing a lot of regret. So they shut down the trials and then that was the end of it. Okay. And it was just like, it was fast and it was crazy and all these people died and then it was over. A lot of the women that were hanged, they didn't even get their convictions overturned until like a lot of them were very recent, like a couple years ago. So that's the Salem Witch Trials again huge history but it's really interesting wasn't it like psychoactive mold that made everyone like crazy oh my god okay i knew i knew you're gonna bring that up which is my favorite thing because that is literally the next part which is like <laughs> some theories as to why salem witch trials happened it's like the bread okay so we'll talk about the bread theory first because there's two theories that are talked about the convulsive erotism is the bread theory so I knew you were going to bring it up because this is like such like a Reddit thing. It's like, did you know? Oh, yeah. And you're just stoned going down like a random rabbit hole. 
Yeah. We, as humans, we want everything to be easily explained by something. This is that rye bread theory that everyone always talks about. So the theory is that people were eating rye that was essentially poisoned and moldy. And the disease is called convulsive ergotism. Its effects happen because of long-term ergot poisoning. It causes convulsions, spasms, and psychosis. So they were like, oh, these girls were suffering from convulsive ergotism and that's why they were convulsing. But when this theory was first proposed, it was like largely discredited immediately. Oh, okay. By Salem Witch Scholars. So the theory was written at the time by an undergrad student doing a paper for a history course. And then she just like submitted it to, and I think she's like a doctor now, but like she has a PhD, but at the time she was undergrad and she just like submitted it to a scientific journal to just like see what would happen. And they published it. It doesn't really hold up. And the reason is, is that if there was ergot poisoning, like the whole family would have eaten. Right. Everyone would be convulsing and psychotic. Totally. And like the whole family, the whole town would have been like, yeah, they could have all been psychotic. But I think the exhibited symptoms don't really like line up. Right. And in the Salem Witch Trials, only a few girls exhibited symptoms. The symptoms were just not those of convulsive ergotism. So also there was like this abrupt ending in the crisis because the people that tried and judged the cases felt remorse and second thoughts it doesn't really make any sense because convulsive ergotism doesn't just stop. Like you don't just like suddenly everyone stops. And it also doesn't take into account the spread of the craze to neighboring communities. So there was those neighboring communities. So basically what this theory says is that these two girls had convulsive ergotism because not all of the people that were accusing people of being witches were convulsing. There was only a few young girls that were doing that. Right. So it just like doesn't really make sense. But it's a fun little theory. But I think the problem with convulsive ergotism that makes me really annoyed is that like people are like, oh, yeah, the rye bread did it. And that's that. And there's nothing else to take into account here. There was also something then put forward called the Little Ice Age. And this one's really interesting. There was a a dissertation written by Emily Oster. And she's an economist. And she has written actually a bunch of books about like like pregnancy and having kids. So she actually wrote this paper, which I just found that was funny, talking about the Little Ice Age in terms of when the witch hunts happened. Yeah. And it correlates it with temperatures dropping and crops gone bad. The theory is that there was a little ice age in about a 150-year period after a 400-year medieval warm period. So it got really cold in the 1590s and kind of ended by the early 1800s. And this is like when a lot of the witch craze happened. So like the theory is that it caused colder weather and food shortages and the temperature and witch trials seem to have an inverse relationship so that when the temperatures dropped, the recorded witch trials rise. And that was just like a, an interesting little thing. Is so that basically because like, people were hangry. People were hangry. <laughs> it's That's like, like the extreme, extreme version of hangry. <laughs> It's the most extreme version. And like the little ice age actually did happen because there is proof that Iceland was completely surrounded by ice and the river Thames in England and the canals in Holland would routinely freeze, which is like not super common. There is this theory that there is like an inverse relationship and people were hangry. So that's a good one. We talked then, you know, the theory of convulsive ergotism that we've already talked about. But then like my opinion is that like... 
they were fucking making it up. There doesn't have to be a reason. People are fucking crazy. That's the reason. These people were Puritans. They came to a new world. They were scared because the Native Americans were going to attack them. And maybe some of these women, like, legitimately felt like they identified with the spiritual practices. Yeah, For so for what I understand about Salem is that, like, all the women that were accused, I don't think any of them actually thought that they were witches. Like, it didn't seem like it just because it was a Puritan society. They just weren't Puritan enough. And people didn't like them. And so I think the most likely theory is just a combination of teenage boredom, family rivalries, the stress of being attacked by Native Americans, and the existence of other witch trials in the not very distant past, because this was happening. Yeah. This wasn't like a new thing they made up. People would have had stories of like their ancestors or like remembering well, them. Well, they came to, so this was 1692, and most of the witch trials happened less than 100 years before that. So it wasn't even like ancestors. It was just like a generation ago, people were dying. And then just the craze of religion and the belief in Satan. And, you know, it feels really good as ever to put reasons into a little black and white package being like, oh, it was epilepsy and oh, it was this. But like, I think we want to explain things away because we don't want to think or believe that things like that could happen now. Yeah. And I think the really uncomfortable theory, and that's why the convulsive ergotism theory just annoys me a little because it is an external factor. Whereas I just feel like these were young, impressionable girls, young, bored girls that made it up. Oh, they're just like, it's like drama. It's just teenage drama. Yes, it's just teenage drama. So like, People say like, oh, these little girls had epilepsy or these little girls had convulsive ergotism. But I think that, you know, you can just convulse and you can just convulse and make it up for attention and drama. And I think sometimes these things get out of hand when there are other external factors like a little ice age. They could have been hangry too. They could have been hungry. They could have been scared because they're neighbors are being attacked by native americans they there were other witch trials we're scared of satan we're all very puritan it's this combination of factors that doesn't that make the most sense with what you know in the world doesn't it make sense that the teenage girls were just fucking making it up and then it just got out of hand and maybe they were just yeah, bad people maybe. and they didn't care maybe that makes the most sense to me after learning everything i've learned about it is that like some people fucking suck and that's actually a very good lesson in life that sometimes people just make things up and not yeah. everybody's trustworthy. And that makes me sad. But you have to figure out when and who to trust and all of that. So, you know, what usually brings up the mood. What? A story. A story time with Sarah. Yay. Yeah. Okay. Today's story time with Sarah is going to actually be story time with Sarah with Jessica. Welcome to story time with Sarah. Sit back, relax and enjoy a story from our favorite book, the Bible. Story time with Sarah with Jessica is going to be 1 Samuel 28, which is the story of the Witch of Endor, which sounds so fucking epic, by the way, but it's not. It's actually not epic at all. Okay, I want to follow along in my Bible. 1 Samuel 28. Everybody gather around, little children, sit crisscross applesauce in the circle, and we're going to open our Bibles to 1 Samuel 28. Is your sword ready, Sarah? Yeah, all there. (laughs) Okay. So this story, just for background, it takes place the day before King Saul is killed on Mount Gilboa in a battle with the Philistines. So it's long, so I'm going to read it. 
Now Samuel had died, and all Israel had mourned for him and buried him in Ramah, his own city, and Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. The Philistines assembled and came and encamped at Shunem, and Saul gathered all Israel, and they encamped at Gilboa. When Saul saw the army of Philistines, he was afraid, and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. So, like, the Lord hates Saul now. I guess Saul must have done something that he didn't like. So then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a man or a woman who is medium, that I may go and inquire of her. And his servant said to him, Behold, there is a medium at Endor. So Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went, he and two men with him. And they came to the woman by night. And he said, Divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. The woman said to him, Surely you know what Saul has done, how he has cut off the mediums and the necromancers from the land. Why then are you laying a trap for my life to bring about my death? But Saul swore to her by the Lord, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. And the woman said, Whom shall I bring up to you? And he said, Bring up Samuel for me. Then the woman saw Samuel. She cried out with a loud voice. And the woman said to Saul, Why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What do you see? And the woman said to Saul, I see a God coming out from the earth. He said to her, what is his appearance? And she said, an old man is coming up and he is wrapped in a robe. And Saul knew that it was Samuel. And he bowed with his face to the ground and paid homage. Then Samuel said to Saul, why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? Saul answered, I am in great distress for the Philistines are warring against me and God has turned away from me and answers to me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. And therefore I have summoned you to tell me what I should do. And Samuel said, Why then do you ask me, since the Lord has turned away from you and become your enemy? The Lord has done to you, and as he has spoke by me, for the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David. Because you do not obey the voice of the Lord and did not carry out his fierce wrath against Al Amalek. There, there, that's why he's mad. Therefore, the Lord has done the thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will give Israel also with you to the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. And the Lord will give the army of Israel also to the hand of the Philistines. Then Saul fell at once full length on the ground, filled with fear because of the words of Samuel. And then there was no strength in him, for he hadn't eaten anything <laughs> that day. He was angry. He was angry. Hey, there you go. And the woman came to Saul, and when she saw that he was terrified, she said to him, Behold, your servant has obeyed you. I have taken my life in my hand, and have listened to what you have said to me. Now, therefore, you will also obey your servant. Let me set a morsel of bread for you, and eat it, and you may have the strength when you go on your way. He refused and said, I will not eat. But they urged him, and then they listened to him, and then he blah, blah, blah. Now the woman had a fattened calf in the house, and she quickly killed it, and she took the flour and kneaded it and baked an unleavened bread of it. <laughs> so specific. And then she put it before Saul and his servants, and they ate, and then they rose and went away that night. And then he died. Yeah, the then he had died. Bye-bye. So okay. that was the Witch of Endor. I just really wanted to find, like, a witch in the Bible. And she seemed cool. She was like, I don't want to die. And then she realized he was Saul and she was like, fuck you, man. Like you, you're the one who did this to us. She, you drove us away and now you want to use my services. And yeah, Saul's dead now. So that is story time with Sarah. Nice. That's a very interesting story. She killed the fat calf. She made him some on love and bread. Like, and then she fed him and let him on his way because she didn't want him to be hangry. And that's the moral of the story. You shouldn't be hangry because then bad things are going to happen. Like the witch trials. That's the moral of this whole podcast, honestly. Yeah. So what did we what? learn? Wow. We learned a lot. 
Sarah, we talked about ancient origins. We talked about Malleus Maleficarum, all the witch trials. And then what's next for us, Sarah? We're going to do part two of the witches, and it's going to be more modern day witches, Wicca as a religion, and Taylor yeah. Swift. So, uh, and Taylor Swift, okay. <laughs> After you have heard this episode, if you have any modern witch information or if you are a witch yourself please feel free to reach out to us you can dm us on instagram and if you want us to talk about anything in particular please dm us or reach out to us there's lots of ways to do that and yeah we love to hear from witches i'm like i feel like i got across everything i wanted to get across but i think because it took me so long to research this i am like very sad that this is over well it's just fascinating to get into even the psychology behind it and the reasons why it might not happen even the the mold theory like i wasn't aware that was a total sham so it just kind of shows you how many but there are so many things like we are bombarded with so much information we consume so much information on tiktok on reddit whatever social media and then like who like 99 percent of people we don't take the time for most things to actually verify it and go deeper a hundred percent because who has the brain power to go deeper on every single issue so like it's not me and that's how even lies within christianity or myths or misconceptions get perpetuated like men having one less rib like yeah just like blatantly stupid shit that people just repeat and they're like oh yeah yeah i like heard that unfactual things i like actually i was reading on reddit today on the evangelical subreddit how somebody was like my whole life i was told that like roman armies they didn't have they didn't have armor on their back so that they could run faster so then preachers use that as like a metaphor for like god will always have your back that's why romans they were like god will have my back and that's why blah blah blah. and then they were like and then i looked into it and yes they had armor on their back like what the fuck yeah and so and it's easier now to yeah. fact check things but it's almost harder because there's more info coming at you all the time And with that bread mold theory, like, I also definitely believed that. It's super interesting. It's something a little bit out of the box. It's like, whatever. But when you Google it, it's not immediately clear that this is like a debunked theory because it's not necessarily debunked. It's not necessarily a a crock of shit. It's just, it's a theory, just like everything else. But it doesn't explain everything. And it is easily debunked. But it doesn't mean that it's not true. I think the thing is about history is that we don't know. There's no way for us to know. Everything is just theories. And so keep that in mind, really, with any kind of fact that you know. And I'm sure there's a lot of facts in my head that I'm like, well, that's real. But actually, if you look into it for two seconds, it's just like, "Mm, it's not really real. And the scariest thing is that, like, there is no reason why the Salem witch trials happened it was a combination of being human and like you said Sarah we don't want to think that this could happen again or this could happen to us now or like that it was just caused by human error but this is happening like things analogous to this are happening ethnic Mm -hmm. cleansing othering people and then if they don't have the same beliefs as you wanting to kill them or displace them and thinking you're generally superior and you have a god-ordained right to take over the world like that that was the european mindset when colonialism happened that is white supremacy that is all the things that like hopefully society continues to unpack i think that's why this also this episode was really anxiety inducing to research because first of all it's not in the so distant past it's not that long ago that this happened and it is happening now just in a different way. We're not necessarily 
physically hanging people that we think are witches, but people are genociding people that they don't like. It's the same thing. Yeah. And I think that's what was really tough and depressing for this one. And so I just I want to implore people like, like, first of all, don't believe everything you hear, even things that I've said today. It's stuff that I have read from historians, but don't take everything I say as gospel because, again, everything that I've said are just historical theories. These are just what historians think. Not all historians think these things, but I think when you, you're trying to disseminate the past, you have to use your intuition, and this is the best that we can come up with. This is the best information that we have. Yeah. And sometimes when things are in a neat, pretty little package, that's when it's most sus. Yeah. There are no easy answers or explanations for most things. Almost everything is nuanced. And that's what's so frustrating about being a human is that like we can't know everything because it's just fucking impossible because it's there's too much information. And you will go crazy trying to know everything. And trying to understand everything. And that's why people, a lot of people just put things in black and white because it's so much fucking easier. And I get it. But it's and it's not fucking fun to live in the gray. It's not fun. But it's, I think, necessary to realize that there are reasons why people do things that they do. Not everyone is all good or all bad. It it is true. Like, nobody is all good or all bad. It's all fucking gray. And I mean, free will is an illusion. We don't have control of what thoughts are coming to our heads. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of people that would say, like, if you look at modern neuroscience I'm not, I don't have time to go through all of it, but (laughs) Sam Harris wrote a whole book on it and I wrote an essay on it in school and I got a bad mark because the person hated it. She was like, no, like we need to believe in free will. Really? That's your fucking opinion, man. Yeah. We could do, we should do an episode on free will because that at some point, because that gets into Calvinism, Arminianism, Mm -hmm. predetermination, you know. This episode definitely didn't necessarily help my mental state, but I think it it taught me a lot of things. And Good. I think a lot of things that I learned can be applied to a lot of other parts of life. So, And I think next episode will be a little more fun, a little less depressing. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, a little more. I it's like fun. the idea of, a, I like modern day witches. Like, I am very confused by modern day witches. I don't get it and I want to get it. So I think that you can help me get it. Yeah, I'm excited yeah. To, yeah. to delve into that next time. So Yay. thank you everyone for coming on for thank the ride. You. We, love, we you love you. And it's Halloween. Have a happy Halloween. Oh wait, I put the wrong headphone in. Only one of my earbuds is working. Oh my god. You can you know they sell them every day. You could just buy new ones. These are actually from Air Canada. Oh my god, you're using a pair of Air Canada headphones? Oh my god.